Air now has two premier cannabis dispensaries in the greater Boston area. Airback Bay is conveniently located in the heart of Boston at 827 Boylston Street across from the Prudential Center, serving adult-use customers. Or check out Air Watertown, located near Watertown Square at 48 North Beacon Street, serving medical patients and adult-use customers. Our team is eager to help you choose from a wide assortment of premium cannabis products. Join us in the air, spelled A-Y-R, in Back Bay, Watertown, or online. Please consume responsibly. This product may cause impairment and may be habit-forming. There may be health risks associated with consumption of this product. This product has not been analyzed or approved by the Food and Drug Administration. There is limited information on the side effects of using this product, and there may be associated health risks. Marijuana use during pregnancy and breastfeeding may pose potential harms. It is against the law to drive or operate machinery when under the influence of this product. Keep this product away from children. There may be health risks associated with the consumption of this product. Marijuana can impair concentration, coordination, and judgment. The impairment effects of edible marijuana may be delayed by two hours or more. In case of accidental ingestion, contact Poison Control Hotline at 1-800-222-1222 or 911. This product may be illegal outside of Massachusetts. Massachusetts State License Number MR283946, MR283886, Watertown Medical License Number RMD325. Now, the show you'll be talking about. That was not me having an on. In therapy. Socks! 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 Stupid socks! It's Felger and Mass, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook on 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the program. It's Felger and Maz from Super Bowl 57 in the Phoenix Convention Center. Murray and I here on Radio Row. Got Maz and Greg Bedard back in our Town Fair Tire Studios in Waltham. We're joined by our first guest of the day, Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk, who I've been following for it has to be about, it feels like since the beginning of the Internet, or at least the Internet as I knew it, when it was NFL Talk. Dot com, right, Mike? It was NFL Talk, and then they made you change the name, right? Well, no, here's what happened. NFLTalk.com was part of the SportsTalk.com conglomerate, and they had verticals for every sport. Uh -huh. They went belly up in March of 2001. I was writing for them for free, three, four items a week, whatever they asked me to do. I was having fun. It was a hobby, and it didn't cost me anything. You, you were know? a lawyer, right? Who I was, was practicing law, and I was just doing it. It was just fun. It was just one of these things. It was like, I just kind of enjoy this. It's an outlet. It's a lawyer just... in West Virginia, right? Yes, yes. Okay. I started writing for them June of 2000. And it was just, one, and you know, every once in a while, because you, you, your wife is your greatest defender and critic at the same time, why are you doing this? They're not paying you. It's like, well, I just kind of got a weird feeling that, that this could maybe do something. And again, it's a hobby that doesn't cost me any money, so I'm just going to do it. So they went out of business March of 2021. ESPN bought the carcass. I actually worked for ESPN.com for six months. You said months. March of 2021, March of 01. Uh, tw uh, 2001, yeah, it wasn't just a year. Yeah. It was 21 years. Yeah, slight difference. Mm -hmm. March of 2001 is when they went out. May of 2001, I started writing for ESPN.com's insider service, their paid subscription site. Six-month contract. They sent me a one-year extension. It was right after 9-11. I was working 18 to 20 hours a day, full-time for them, full-time law practice. I don't think they ever quite knew that I had a full-time law practice. And I just decided, you know what, I can't, I can't work like this. I can't do this. And I knew in my heart there was value in the immediacy of writing an article and pressing a button, and it goes out to the world instead of three layers of editorial review, and it's three hours later before the, sh the stuff, mm -hmm. I'm going to say the other word, finally lands on everyone's computer screen. So... November 1, 2001 is What's when we launched. But there was never any, I knew not to use NFL in the name. And I was surprised that they never got, 
sports talk and NFL talk never got squeezed by the NFL because that was one of the things so I told them. So they never forced point, it was NFL talk. Yeah. They never forced you to change at it? At some point, I wasn't part of ownership, but I told the guys who owned it, at some point you guys are going to get big enough that they're going to show up and say you got to change it. Well, they went out of business before they could get big enough. Anyway, story time's over. That's where we are. Okay, Mike Florio joining us here. We've been reacting to the Brady uh, podcast and Belichick podcast last night with Jim Gray. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the whole thing, but... We feel there was a fair amount of revisionist history in there and that it was all good and the media made it up, which really, in my recollection, was not the case. It got to the point where, look, I, I think one of the realities of the Patriot way is there is no human being that is going to be able to reside within that bubble for 18 years without getting to the point where they've reached their lifetime limit of the Patriot way. It strips you of your individuality it beats you down it's hard coaching it helps you get the most out of who you are but i think one of the realities we've seen with tom brady and the issues he's dealt with nobody has ever stretched the rubber band as far as he has whether it's with the patriots and working for and playing for bill belichick or playing football into your mid-40s and having the issues of middle age that strike a lot of players after they've retired you know divorce how many active players go through a high-profile divorce? Now, some of them may go through it after they're done playing, but to be in his mid-40s and to have this all happen, these are just so many different things that we've never seen before. But, yeah, I look, it's all – It's once the wounds are healed and the time has passed, it's easy to – sing kumbaya and everything's fine but we know that it was getting pretty rocky near the end so i want to spin it to today and uh it feels like belichick the problems he had with brady feels like he's having problems with his new quarterback as well and we play a lot of your sound mike you and chris sims and your podcast we repurpose a lot of that sound because it was obvious you and chris had information the problems there between mac jones and bill belichick and you let some of it out i felt like you were holding some back and i'm going to ask you now can we release the hounds fully like can you tell us really what you know about what went wrong there between belichick and mac jones last year i don't know that i ever held it back maybe i did from time to time here's the bottom line mac jones had a year with josh mcdaniels so mac jones got to see what it was like being coached by somebody who is a high level expert in nfl offense and then mcdaniels is gone and he's replaced with a frankenstein monster of matt patricia and joe judge Patricia, a career defensive coach who's kind of floating around and wanted to get back into coaching and they didn't have a spot for him on the defensive side of the ball. So he lands in this weird spot where he's the offensive coordinator, but he isn't. And I think that may have something to do with his buyout with the Lions. I think there's a little shell game going on there. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being yeah. critical of the Patriots, but that happened with Brett Bieleman. They got caught up in that litigation. You know, what a guy's making elsewhere, what his title is when he's owed money by someone else becomes a factor. But still, bottom line, Patricia's the de facto OC. And then you got Judge, who I don't think it was widely believed in the organization when he came back he was going to be anything other than special teams and he's the quarterbacks coach so mac jones goes from josh mcdaniels to pat uh, matt patricia and joe judge and he realizes right away it's a different animal this is a different creation and i now have to continue my development as a quarterback with two coaches who are learning their job on the fly and I don't have a lot of confidence. I mean, look, he never came out and said it. And I think Mac Jones is able to do the Stepford Patriot thing where they all say the same thing in the same tone of voice and there's never any humanity that comes through. But I think away from that, he was making it clear to people around him he wasn't happy with where it was going. The Bailey Zappi thing became 
kind of weird. And, you know, they were trying to beat him down a little bit was Bill just showing, hey, you shouldn't be complaining to anyone about what's going on behind the curtain here at Patriot Place. And, and I think that that was a big part of it. And until Mac was back and the Bailey Zappi stuff ended and there was no further discussion of it, there was there was real tension there between Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. Baz, Greg Bedard back in our Tom Ford Tire Studios. Either you want to follow up? Yeah, I, what I was going to say, Mike, is in the wake of that, how does the... How does the league now, or people you talk to around the league, how do they look at the Patriots? How do they look at Bill? Well, I, I said this yesterday. Bill has amassed or had amassed not just a stack of chips. I mean, he's the guy sitting at the poker table. You can barely see the top of his forehead for all the chips he has in front of him from six Super Bowl wins. And I think last year was the year he decided, I'm going to play him. I'm going to spend him. I'm going to lose him if I have to. And he lost more than I think he thought he was going to lose. Rolling the dice on Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as the guys in charge of the offense. And, and I think that he's got some work to do to rebuild his reputation, especially the whole post-Brady. Who's won the post-Brady competition between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? Well, Tom Brady has won it. He made it to the divisional round. He made it to the playoffs all three years. He won a Super Bowl. What's Bill Belichick done in three seasons post-Tom Brady? Doesn't have a postseason win to show for it, and the only playoff game was the 47-17 shredding to the Bills in Buffalo. So I think right now folks are wondering how much longer the Patriots ownership will tolerate what Bill Belichick has led the team to be. And I just think it's, it's a reflection of humility by Belichick that either he realized on his own, I got to get Bill O'Brien back here, or he submitted to someone else in the organization who said to him, you got to get Bill O'Brien back here. Either way, he knew he had to get Bill O'Brien back. You just mentioned it. How much leeway do you think ownership is willing to give him? Do you think if he has one more year like that, it's that's it? Is that possible, one year, and that's I, it? My gut tells me two. My gut tells me that they need to turn things around this year or 2024 will be hot seat season. And then you've got the chase for Shula. And, you know, like how long does he want to do it? And how much longer is he going to coach? And would he ever coach a different team? There was that thing that came up like five years ago. Gary Myers lit the fuse on the possibility of going to the Giants. And, and it, was, it was a widely criticized report. But, you know, would you really start over with another team at this point? That's a lot to expect. Yes. The longer he's with the Patriots. But at some point... I feel like the Patriots are a team that will have a hard time maintaining a national fan base without winning, without contending. The Cowboys are the only team that can pull it off, and they've pulled it off for 30 years. They haven't been back to an NFC championship since Super Bowl 30, and they still have the most significant fan base in the NFL. You put them on TV, and 30 million tune in. The Patriots aren't going to be able to do that. They've got to get back to winning, and I think the pressure is going to go up this year. And if this year it doesn't, turnaround, especially with Bill O'Brien back. I think when we get to 2024, that's when it could get very interesting. Greg, Murray, do you guys have anything? What do you think of this game? Well, you know, now with Tom Brady gone and assuming he doesn't come back and who the hell knows with that guy at this point, I think he genuinely believes everything he says when he says it. And then by the next day, he may not believe it anymore. And I, I was struck by his comments from yesterday to Colin Coward and last night on his podcast. The door's not really shut on 23. It really isn't. You don't think it's shut for Brady? I don't think it's shut for Brady on 23. I remember Brett Favre on David Letterman's show in April of 2008. The first time he said, I don't know how I'm going to feel when training camp rolls around. That was like, that guy's coming back. And with Brady, he's, already, he's out a week and he's already talking about it. 
did the same thing last time. He was out for a week, and he goes on his podcast, and he's talking about nobody knows what the future will hold. Now we now know at the time he was trying to work a path to Miami behind the scenes, and that didn't work out. But this time around, I'm not ready to rule out anything. But I mentioned Brady because let's assume he doesn't come back. Mahomes is the one guy right now in the NFL who could chase Brady for even a plausible argument for greatest of all time. Well, to do that, he's got to win championships. And this is his second chance to get to number two. And last time it was head-to-head -head with Tom. Six versus one became seven versus one. Now he's got a chance to get to two. And if he doesn't get it now, you don't know when you're going to be back. It's, he, he, one thing that Patrick Mahomes has learned through five straight years of getting to the AFC Championship, of hosting five straight AFC Championship games, which is uncanny when you think about it. He's never played a road playoff game. You can't assume you're going to be back. You can't assume you're going to get a chance to get number two again. you got to get number two now. So I just feel like Mahomes and just the culture of the Chiefs collectively, their attitude, their will, they've been there, they've done that. They're not going to freak out in any way, shape, or form by the moment. I mean, the Eagles were here five years ago, but the team is so different. I just, I, as the week unfolds, I feel like I'm just leaning more and more toward the Chiefs finally getting that number two for Mahomes so that he can start working on number three and then maybe number four. And, you know, in 10 years, maybe we will be talking about how Patrick Mahomes has a shot at catching Tom Brady. I mean, can, can I just go back to Mac Jones and Bill real quick? Because Chris Sims was on earlier with our uh, midday show and sort of hit on a little bit that it felt like the, one of the biggest problems this year was when Mac Jones started quote-unquote calling around for help with the Patriots offense and Chris was discussing how he may have was, was calling Alabama doesn't know if it was specifically Bill O'Brien but can you give us more details on, on on that piece to it right there and then that was immediately around when they started playing Bailey Zappi or pulled uh, Mac Jones for Bailey Zappi on that Monday night that all sort of that all sort of timed out together is that right well I don't know about the Alabama thing, and that's something Chris has never mentioned on our show. If he did, I wasn't listening to him, which does happen from time to time. <laughs> but um, it, it wouldn't surprise me because there was a duality to the Mac Jones reality last year. There was the Stepford Patriot Mac Jones, and then there was the guy that we saw more and more of as the season went on who would blow a gasket on the sideline and drop F-bombs. And he was frustrated. He was upset. And it doesn't surprise me at all that that would have happened if it did happen and look the whole bill o'brien thing that was floating around weeks before the regular season ended that was one of the worst kept secrets in the nfl that bill o'brien was coming back to new england so i think they recognized and again it was either bill belichick acknowledging it on his own which is good or someone else imposing their will on him and him submitting to it because at this point bill belichick if he's getting any pressure from anyone in in ownership he could just say i'm too old for this crap and just tap out so i think it's just good that we're at a point where they're making the change they need to make, and this should settle Mac Jones. And now, at the end of the season, there was the comment from Bill about Mac Jones. He, he, he has be, proven he, he, he can, can play, in, play this in this league. Right. I think that Bill is going to defer to Bill O'Brien to a certain extent. What do you think of this guy? Should he be our starter? Could we get somebody else? Should we draft someone? I think they are looking at this with more of an open canvas blank slate than maybe we would assume because there's so many guys out there this year this is unprecedented the quarterback carousel the musical chairs there's a lot of guys out there that the Patriots could pursue and I think that Bill Belichick wants the counsel of Bill O'Brien before he makes a decision quickly before I let you go where does Carr Garoppolo Rogers end up I saw the betting odds have Rogers to the Raiders first then the Packers then the Jets I don't know how Aaron Rodgers and Josh McDaniels could coexist. I just don't see that 
as a mesh from a personality standpoint. I don't see Aaron Rodgers submitting to Patriot Way West. So I don't, I just, I think the Jets would be more likely. Nathaniel Hackett's there. I think last year Rodgers thought serious about going to the Broncos and decided to stay in Green Bay. I'm not convinced he's even going to leave Green Bay at this point. I think if I had to bet right now, I'd say still the Packers, if not the Packers, then the Jets. Carr, who knows? I think he will be cut by next Wednesday. All this talk about a trade. He's got the hammer. He's got the no trade clause. He just has to say to the Jets, guarantee me 40.4 million over the next two years or cut me and they're going to cut him by next wednesday and then he'll go wherever charlotte i don't know but he, he gets a head start on the market which is awesome for him he gets a month where the other guys can't in theory talk to other teams but he can do whatever he wants he can visit he can take the full time and because make a he was waived because he's cut yeah all the other guys whose contracts expire got it, got it. they fall into the tom brady yep. Stephen ross tampering trap if they if they communicate but we know that happens with garoppolo who knows who knows? I saw Joe Montana said he, that they should keep him in San Francisco, but Smart I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where he's going to go. And you know, the reality is he has yet to prove that he can stay healthy. And if you can't stay healthy at the quarterback position, it's hard to be the guy who's entrusted with that job. And the best of the best quarterbacks stay healthy, or they play through those injuries. Mike, thanks again for coming by. Right, Congratulations you. with your continued success again. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, Mike. Mike. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We're back with uh, ten questions with Bedard right after this. Felger and Maz. Felger and Maz have Radio Row Week covered. Presented by BostonRefunds.com. Payroll tax refund experts for small businesses. On 98.5 The Sports Hub. You want the answer? You've got to ask the question. Do you have an opinion based on if you had to go with your gut, what, which way it would go? Uh, Sometimes you have to ask it over and over and over again. Why, 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 why? This is 10 Questions with Greg Bedard and Felger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, let's do 10 Questions with Bedard. It's brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Make the 2023 new year. The last time losing weight is your New Year's resolution. Choose the solution for weight loss. Awaken 180 Weight Loss. I want to remind you, we are at we me uh, being a uh, we being me and Murray from uh, the Phoenix Convention Center for Super Bowl 57. This hour of our coverage is brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market, and uh, that's the deal. But we'll do 10 questions with Bedard. Super Bowl heavy focus. We uh, have to be on time, Jimmy. So what are our buzzer options? Mike Francesca and Francesca is saying that uh, Brady is not the goat. Next. Oh, my God, please. If you use the phrase, the goat, you'll immediately be dropped. <laughs> uh, that remains that, that that remains in effect. Next. I hate those one-day, freaking one-day contracts. <laughs> Makes you want to swear, doesn't it? Yep. Next. I'm not an Adrian Clem guy. He was a bust. He sucked as a player. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, bringing that guy back? <laughs> Next. Last one. Those sort of mythological. 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 Don't use big words, jackass. Yeah. Next. Spin it Mike out. Francesca. And Francesca is saying that uh, Brady is not the GOAT. Okay, number 10. Uh, Greg and the panel. What was your favorite Super Bowl growing up as a kid? It's the first one I remember. Uh, Super Bowl 16. Uh, Niners, Bengals, Pontiac, Silverdome. I don't know. It was something about those gold helmets under those lights. Bill Walsh and his cool, looking cool in his white sweater. Chris Collinsworth over the shoulder catches. Like, I don't know. I was mesmerized that day, and that set me on the, 
the course for NFL fandom. It was Joe Montana, Greg. Let me help you with that. It was Joe Montana. <laughs> that guy, too. So, look, the, the, believe it or not, to me, it was Super Bowl thirteen, Pittsburgh 35, Dallas 31. It was a massively hyped game, tremendous game on the field. That's the one that stuck with me. But, you know, again, because of my partiality to Joe Montana, the the Super Bowl 22 Montana to Taylor on the 92-yard drive, that was special. Super Bowl 25 Giants Bills was I was 15. It was the first game I remember that showed me the hilarious pain of sports. You Nor- were only 15 in that for yeah, that game. Yeah, well that Nor- counts. Norwood wide right. I was like, oh, oh, this is great. So yeah, that one sticks. Yeah, Niners Bengals was going to be mine next. I hate those one day freaking one day contracts. All right, so sort of back in those days, 70s, 80s, you can go creep into the 90s if you're a little younger, like uh, Murray. Who did you root for in those years? Yeah, because the Patriots were never in it. Right. You know. So who did you root for in those years? Who did you root against, Greg? I rooted for the Dolphins. Uh, that was the team of my childhood. We, we moved down to Boca Raton right around that time, so it was the only game in town. I rooted against the Jets. And so the 1982 AFC Championship game when A.J. Dewey picked off three Richard Todd passes in the slop and the mud after Shula didn't tarp the field overnight, it was one of the greatest days of my okay. life. My point was what Super Bowl teams did you root against? Not what crappy, you yeah. know, regular teams did you root against? But anyway, go ahead, Mass. Uh, Pittsburgh. I rooted against Pittsburgh. I hated the Steelers. Uh, and I rooted for the Niners. I was a huge Montana fan. The Patriots sucked so bad I had to adopt someone who was good. The Montana Rice thing was, you know, wildly entertaining to watch. But whoever could try to beat Dallas. Like, and so that may be root for the Bills at times. But they were never going to do that. But anyone against Dallas, I hated Dallas then. I just always rooted for the underdog pretty much. Next. Those sort of mythological. 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 (laughs) This is kind of a statement more than a question. But do you remember when the game sucked? When the Super Bowl year after year after year was some ungodly blowout that there was no reason to watch in the second half. Do you remember those days, Greg? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they were terrible for years. I thought the, the, the game that Maz mentioned, the Niners-Bengals, the second matchup, that's when things sort of turned and the games got better almost almost every year when the Bills weren't there. I mean, Mike, I looked it up again. There was about a seven-year period there. 38 to 9, 38 to 16, 46 to 10, 39 to 20, 42 to 10, 55 to 10. They were all three touchdowns well, at a minimum, all of but them. Th- those were the days when the NFC was just so much more dominant. Yeah. So the either the the Broncos, uh, you know, and then, it, then it became the Bills would just be cannon fodder for what came out of the NFC. It was painful. Oh, it's the worst. I mean, that was most of the 90s. And as entertaining as some of those championship games could be, like the Chargers upset of the Steelers in 94, you knew that Super Bowl was going to be completely useless. Next. I'm not an Adrian Clem guy. He was a bust. He sucked as a player. <laughs> like I'm like, bringing that guy back? Poor Adrian Clem. All right, you talked about Travis Kelsey as a tool bag, and you know you don't like him as a guy, and he's annoying, all that. Greg, do you like Travis Kelsey as a football player? I do, but not as a tight end. He's a wide receiver. I don't view him as a tight end. I do. I like him. And, again, I know he's not a great blocker, but you know what? On third down, you got to know where he is. He's a money player on, a, on you know, money situations. I would take him on my team in a second. Like, but don't love. Like, some of the Gronk comparisons kind of bug me because I think he's got some puss in him. I mean, he doesn't block the way that Gronk did. So I like, but don't love him. Yeah, I mean. I don't care that he doesn't block or that he's not a traditional inline tight end. I don't think he likes getting hit. I, I, which is true, but he's, I mean, Mahomes and Kelsey are to catch Brady and Gronkowski for touchdown catches or, you know, that connection. So, like, that's not a projection. If Mahomes keeps his pace, he'll catch Brady and, you know, 10 years. No, no, no. 
That could happen on Sunday. I don't like it. Those two guys are legit. Next. And he makes big catches, too. Yes, he does. I'm sorry. I'm, Jimmy, hit it again. Oh, my God, please. If you use the phrase, the GOAT, you'll immediately be dropped. Number six, rank the greatest offensive coaches of all time and stop when you get to Andy Reid. Sid Gilman, uh, father of the modern passing game. Paul Brown, Ohio River offense. Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs. He developed the the modern running game. Mike Shanahan and then Andy Reid. Ooh, Shanahan against Reid, ahead of Reid, Maz. Bill Walsh, Andy Reid, ends there. Same with Mass Walsh Reed. Yeah, so Walsh Reed Shanahan. Shanahan deserves mention. There's no I doubt had a about real it. List. Uh, but <laughs> I'm not going back to Sid Gilman. Sorry. Come on. Next. <laughs> Sid Vicious. You said all time. Next. Cool back. Mike Francesca. And Francesca is saying that uh, Brady is not the GOAT. Who's the biggest tool bag in Super Bowl history? And there's really... Oh, there's a lot. We're only vying for second place because I think one guy stands alone. Biggest tool bag in Super Bowl history. Eugene Robinson. Thank you. From the Falcons, arrested for soliciting a cop, a prostitute the night before the Super Bowl in Miami. No, so, no, but you, but you know where he was coming from, Greg, don't you? Man the of the Man Year, of the year award. award. He was being given... <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, yeah. I think it was the Father of the Year Award. I think it was some sort of Christian family award. Oh, some sort of family award or Father Award or Role Model Award. It wasn't Man of the Year. It was something like that, where he was being hailed as the Man of the Year, Father of the Year. In the middle of the ceremony, says, just give me a minute. I'm going to pop out for a second. <laughs> Went and got a little... And got popped, and that that's the number one tool bag, Master. Do you have another one? Well, just quickly, because, again, I, I interpret the question differently than you guys. Remember linebacker with Dallas, Hollywood Henderson? Sure, of course. Guy was a serving spoon. Complete spoon. <laughs> and I would add I would add to the list also a Rigo, John Riggins, you freaking tool bag. And I, I don't care whether he was good or not. He was a tool, and he still is a tool. Diesel. Is he alive? <laughs> uh, Barrett Robbins is mine, who screwed off to go get wasted in Mexico the night before the Super Bowl against Tampa in 2002. That's a good one. Bugged out to Tijuana. Never heard from him. You know, missed the game. Was he it, was missing for like three days. Was it Icky Woods who locked himself in the hotel room with all sorts of drugs and didn't make the game? Who was it with the Bengals? If, if not Icky Woods, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the it guy was, returned the kickoff, wasn't it? Brown? No, it, Stanley it was, something. I'll find it. it. There, there, was a, there was a Cincinnati Bengal. Who locked himself in a hotel Stanley Wilson. with a bunch of blow? <laughs> it didn't come out. Like there's another one. All right, next. Those sort of mythological, mythological, mythological. Trent Dilfer uh, said on the 1999 Ravens 30 for 30 special that aired the other night. It was actually really good. I watched it. He said that modern day quarterback play, where the quarterbacks don't get hit and the receivers can't be rerouted, doesn't impress him. Does he have a point, Greg? Absolutely, he has a point. I mean, just in terms of the modern game, I think he talked about Brady and Manning as well. I don't agree with that. The guys who played in the, the early 2000s, they had to deal with this. I mean, there weren't many route trees. The, the way the defense played, the way they could hit the quarterback, it was much different in the early 2090s, 80s than it is today, where today it's just it's basketball on grass, basically. I mean, he absolutely, uh, he absolutely has a point. I've said to you a million times, the position is easier to play now than it ever has been before, which is why it'll be astonishing if Mac Jones sucks. Right message, <laughs> wrong, mes- wrong messenger. Like, he's right, but I just wish this came from a better quarterback because he sucked, and he's always come off as a baby. Why you got to do that to Mac Jones? 
Just quickly following up on the Eugene Robinson thing. He had, in fact, just been given the Bart Starr Award for players showing outstanding character and leadership in the home community and on the field. <laughs> so he was being given, the, you know, like, again, a family a yeah. father, you know, the uh, kind of a community award. Steps out for a little and gets arrested. He he did return the award after <laughs> the weekend. I think it was a good call. All right, yeah, next. Well, well, that night he wasn't in his home community. <laughs> I hate those one day freaking one day contracts. Uh, what current team, Greg, if they never win another Super Bowl, would make you the happiest? And I know we have a long list of teams you never want to see win, so you can give me three if you want, who you never, ever want to see win a Super Bowl. Washington, as long as Daniel Snyder is owning the team. Uh, Dallas, as long as Jerry Jones is owning the team. And the Bills, shout out Bills Mafia. Yeah, Commanders were number one on my list, too. They can lose forever, as far as I'm concerned. Cleveland, because I want them to continue to be losers. And Minnesota, again, mostly because of Kirk Cousins. It's another Super Bowl, so I followed the instructions. So Steelers, Dallas, and the Niners. The Niners always bothered me, too. I liked watching Montana, but F them. Next. I'm not an Adrian Clem guy. He was a bust. He sucked as a player. Like, I'm like, yeah, bringing that guy back? Okay, uh, Greg is uh, back in uh, Waltham at our Town for Tire Studios, not with us uh, for the festivities at Super Bowl week. What do you miss most, Greg, about not being here at the Super Bowl this week? Just the game itself. I mean, the game is cool to cover. It is a huge event, and I love being there for the games. All right, next. Super Tuesday. Uh, There you go, Maz. (laughs) We'll miss you tonight. Go ahead, Jimmy. Mike Francesca. And Francesca is saying that uh, Brady is not the GOAT. Greg, what do you miss the least? What's the worst part of the Super Bowl in the week? That stupid media night that they had. What was it, last night or Monday night? Oh, my God. The thing is just a disaster. Super Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, Maz. That media night keeps getting worse. It keeps getting worse. It used to be. I haven't been since Minnesota. I won't go to it. Greg, you know this. Like, it actually used to be a kind of valuable day for the writers because it was the one time all year that the full staff had to be made available. And while, you know, all the nonsense was going out on the field with all the players, the coaches would sit up in the stands and you could actually go up and talk to Rob Ryan or all these guys on the team that you didn't get to talk to all season long and actually get a little something. Mike, I mean, when until they changed the media rules in recent years, when the Patriots made the Super Bowl, it was like freaking Christmas. You could actually talk to these guys that you were completely off limits the entire season, and Dante Skarnecki would go around trying to hide and things like that, but <laughs> yeah. you'd corner him, and he'd hold court, and he'd be awesome. Absolutely. But that is feels like that's all out the window. Okay, quick update with uh, Murray, and we're right back with the latest on the Patriots coaching staff and Greg Bedard's thoughts on it. Don't go anywhere. Covering all the excitement of Radio Row, it's Felger and Mass, presented by BostonRefunds.com, payroll tax refund experts for small businesses on Boston's Home for Sports, 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, we continue with Greg Bedard. Big Boy Tuesday is brought to you by Uber Eats. Listen up, all users of Uber Eats. Here are some great promos to add to your account. Hub 25 for 25% off your next order. Hub 15 for 15% off your next order. And Hub Eats for free delivery on your next order. So I would just rifle through them. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Great offers right there. Exclusive to our listeners here at Felgren Maz. Add them right now. They'll stay added to your account. 
Perfect to use for the big game. Taxes and fees apply. See the Uber Eats app for availability. Greg, your thoughts on Patriots coaching staff as it stands today. Nick Cayley gone. Adrian Clem here. Okay. I mean, obviously, I don't like that Nick Cayley, who was, uh, you know, your most tenured offensive coach here, that he felt the need to make a lateral move to the Rams. It would have been nice to keep him him. Uh, you know, people have talked about, oh, well, the Patriots have a brain drain. What are they? What could they do about it? I mean, Kaylee is a self-inflicted wound that he felt the need to leave. I don't like that. I thought he was a good young coach and could have been developed a bit more here, and he wasn't. And, of course, he was passed over for Matt Patricia and Joe Judge last year, which we all knew was a colossal mistake. Uh, as far as Adrian Clem coming on as an offensive line coach, uh, look, I, I don't know anything about Adrian Clem. Um, he has... You know, you just have to go off his track record, talk to people around the league. I mean, the good parts about Clem, Oregon's offensive line last year in his first year was awesome. They led the league in a few sacks allowed, or led the, the nation, sorry. Uh, I talked to Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman who went to Oregon. He watches all their games. He thinks Clem's a good coach. He thinks he did a good job this year, so that's good. He's a good recruiter. He did well with – in his career, he's done well coaching college kids. We know that for a fact. What he did at SMU, UCLA, Oregon last year, um, that's good. Carm Brasillo, who was a good coach here, good enough that Josh McDaniels took him to Vegas, he came from the college ranks straight to the NFL from Youngstown State and did a good job. So the Patriots have a track record of those guys working out well here. Maybe, maybe it means that they're going to go younger. Uh, we know they probably need at least one tackle. Who knows if they get rid of Trent Brown. They could have two young tackles there. So maybe having a coach who is good with college players, uh, that's a really good thing. Um, but on the other hand, you also heard some stuff not so great about Clem coming out of Pittsburgh. Right. I mean, look, this is just a fact. He, did, he, he In his first year, his only year as Steelers head offensive line coach, he did not last the full season. Um, that is problematic in itself. Now, that being said, Mike Tomlin at the time, when Clem left for Oregon, when Tomlin basically announced it as pre at his press conference, uh, Oregon had not announced it yet. He said great things about Clem and about the situation, how he was professional, all that stuff. Okay. W what we also know about Mike Tomlin is that he's a guy who is very professional, who keeps things in-house. We didn't know Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and other guys were complete disasters until they left Pittsburgh. You know, he was able to keep everything in-house. I have been told by people there in Pittsburgh that the feeling there was that Clem quit on them about middle part of the year, started looking for an exit plan. Uh, he was not put in a good position. They did not have much talent there. Um, but the feeling was that he started looking for an exit plan. He found a job, and Tomlin was basically like, you got a job, then go. And he left uh, with two games left in the regular season. The Steelers won their final two games and made the postseason that year. So that's just those are just facts. I, I have no clue on what kind of offensive line coach he's going to be. Step back big picture, Greg. Do you think the team has done enough to change the DNA of the coaching staff? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I just I wish they would have uh, casted a wider net in terms of uh, I'm glad Billy O'Brien's here. I think he's the right guy for the job, for Mac Jones, for this offense, for Bill Belichick, where he is in his career. I think Billy O'Brien's the best guy. I would have liked to have talk to uh, a wider range of candidates from different offenses just to mine them for talent but and also 
in terms of the offensive line coach. Look, they, as far as we know, the only two people they talked to were Clem, Belichick's first draft pick with the Patriots, and Ryan Wendell, who was uh, a player here. I mean, there are tons of other offensive line coaches around the league. Why not at least interview them, let Bill O'Brien decide who he wants? Mike Devlin was his guy in Houston. He's now assistant off- offensive line coach in Baltimore. Why didn't you talk to him? Mike Munchak is out there, one of the legendary offensive line coaches in the game. Uh, I, I just I don't like how they've had a they have continued to have a very narrow focus on terms of coaching talent that they bring in into this organization. Okay, thank you for the update. Any thoughts for Greg? He's going to be uh, he's got one more segment to go. So the open lines, if you want him, six one seven 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 nine zero ninety eight five. More on the Brady Belichick podcast last night. More with Bedard. Your calls. Long commercial free segment next. You're listening to Belgrin Naz on the Sports Hub. From Phoenix, Arizona, it's Radio Row Week coverage with Felger and Mass. Presented by BostonRefunds.com. Payroll tax refund experts for small businesses. On Boston's home for sports. 98.5 The Sports Hub. First, I want you to handicap Brady's next landing spot. Exactly. It's one, two, it's one of two places. It's San Diego or LA. It's San Diego or Vegas. You don't think the Patriots are out? You think the Patriots? No, are out? no. I'm saying if if he doesn't go to the Patriots. Oh. Word on the street so, is word on the street is he bought a home in Vegas. Okay. Really? Oh, stand stand by. by. Stand by. Now we're talking. Okay. okay. Stand by. Word is he bought property in Vegas. That's what my friends in real estate. I live in Vegas. Um, he was there for the fight. Word is he's he bought property or he inquired about buying property, but. That's what I heard. It's not validated or documented, but he made some inquiries about some property. All right, if you're holding on for Greg Bedard, I promise we're going to get to you. Greg's going to give us an extra segment. So if you're hanging on the line right now for Greg, there's some football questions there. Just sit there. But we play that because every year we're at the Super Bowl, we have to catch up with Brandon Lang, super handicapper, Matthew McConaughey. played him in the movie. That was Brandon Lang three years ago. Wow. Who was right? Who was right? Brady did buy property in Vegas. He ended up going there, but your info was right. So every year we get a we get something out of you, and so that's we we're back here again. Brandon Lang joining us here on Radio Row. How you doing, Brandon? John Gruden, by the way. After it all came down the pike, it was Gruden at the zero hour that nixed the deal of Brady going to the Raiders. Is that right? Yep. It would have uh-huh. happened. It would have happened if not Gruden for Gruden. Just said he's hundred percent right then Brady would have been in Vegas. Hold on. Greg, you can confirm? I can confirm that that Gruden was doing uh, background information on Brady leading up to that offseason. He, he he sort of chickened out at the end. Yep. Wow. So Brady that- goes to Raiders. <laughs> I love it. So well. Chucky, who, if you've seen him lately, he's gained 40 pounds. He's just a fat pig. Thanks, Chucky, because that would have been an epic call by Bean Lang three years ago, and you screwed me. But nice <laughs> well, going, nice well, going, no, well, nice going, Michelin guy. Well, nice going, Johnny. Okay, okay. Well, you were on to something. You got anything for us this year before we get into your thoughts on the game? Aaron Rodgers, you hearing anything? What, who's going to Vegas this year? He wants to go to Vegas. Who's he? Aaron. But the defense scares him of not being good enough. And that's the one thing about Tom that people don't realize 
is when he picked Tampa, he says they got a defense that can win the Super Bowl. I can get that offense there. Anyone won a Super Bowl. Aaron wants to do the same thing. The problem is Vegas's defense is not good enough. I was just at Barry's Steakhouse at Circa last Saturday night. Davis was there. I walked up to him. I said, you have to get Rodgers. He goes, we'll pay him whatever he wants. That's not the problem. It's the defense. <laughs> so you say Davis, you mean Mark Davis? Yes, Mark Davis at Circa. Barry's is a steakhouse downstairs. He was sitting right there in the bar. And Richard Wilk, who's my boy, is like number two there. I said, can I talk to him real quick? Richard took me up. I said, hey, congratulations. Bye-bye. I said, I said, Aaron, what's the deal? He goes, we'll pay him whatever he wants. He says, let's see. It's the defense. He's not going to go where there's not a defense. The Jets have a defense. The Titans have a defense. So it's going to have to be the Titans or the Jets. we got to hang out with you when we come to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, next year, dude. Uh, listen, yeah, right. I'm, I'm telling you guys right now, and I'm telling everybody this. If you want to hang out, it's going to be Star Trek. <laughs> Understand tar Star Trek. You're in my town. I've done major farming. I got the Ukraines, the little 5'4 Filipino point guard. I got the whole <laughs> roster ready to go. It's going to be Star Trek. We will go where no man has gone before. It's my town. So if you're serious, get ready to go because we're going to go deep. I'm in. Murray's in too. Okay. There we go. There Brandon we go. Lang. BrandonLang.com. Uh, give me your thoughts on this game. What were you just telling me off the air? Okay, so the Chiefs remind me a lot about the New England Patriots. And the Patriots went to a lot of Super Bowls because they played in the bad division. They did their job. They got home field advantage. Other than the Ravens, nobody else could go in there and beat them. They went to the Super Bowl. And when New England got to the Super Bowl, they won Super Bowls not because they were the best team, hence the reason why they never blew anybody out. They were the best coach team. And now here comes Kansas City, where Patrick Mahomes has not had to play a road game in the playoffs. They've had home field advantage for every single season he's been there. The Jags had him on the ropes. I wish he wouldn't have fumbled at the five-yard line. They would have cut it to three with five minutes to go and see how that game would have played out. And then the Bengals, Joe Burrows is going to live the rest of his life saying, six and a half minutes to go, second down and three at the 40-yard line. I got the check down right there. Let's pick up the first down. He threw deep twice, and then all hell broke loose after that. His defense got him the ball back twice in the last seven minutes. Joe Burrow is the reason why. Granted, his offensive line was banging down, but there were plays to be made, checkdowns to be made. He didn't do it. So now here, Philadelphia is here again. And people make Andy Reid to be this great football coach. He's average. In the New England Super Bowl with you guys, they got the ball back. They had to go hurry up. He went on that drive down two scores. It took nine days, six hours, and 21 minutes for them to score, and he sat there on the sideline. He hadn't missed a meal since Christ came back 2,000 years ago. He coaches in a food coma, and, they should, <laughs> and, and, and it was obvious he was terribly outcoached in the Philadelphia New England Super Bowl. In the San Francisco Super Bowl, they were terrible for three-and-a-half quarters offensively. Mahomes on third and 14 throws a punt on a punt post corner to Tyreek Hill that hangs up in the air for five hours, and he's two Chris Jones tips on back-to-back -back third downs from not winning that Super Bowl. He goes to the Tampa Super Bowl and arguably does the worst job coaching in the history of the Super Bowl other than Sean McVay versus Bill Belichick. He lose that Super Bowl. And so now here he is again against a superior offensive line, a superior defensive line, and it's going to come down to Jalen Hurts and, and Patrick Mahomes. Hurts has had one bad game all year. The Monday night game against Washington, two turnovers. It's the only game all year he had two turnovers. That's the game he lost. You like he, Philly. I love Philly. I just think they're the better team. Everybody puts Kansas City on such a pedestal. I'm tired of it. They're not. The, they should have lost to the Texans on the road. They should have lost to the Chargers twice. They should have lost to the Raiders. They should have lost to Denver twice. They're 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 solid, 
but they're not. But Philly's been the best team in the NFL all year long. Two Hall of Famers on their offensive line. The best offensive line in the NFL. The best defensive line in the NFL. I will lose with superior line play than anything else when it comes to the Super Bowl. Brandon Lang, catch him at brandonlang.com. Your career record in the Super Bowl is? 25-5. and five. And what have you been the last couple of years? Lost the last two. Okay. So we got Eagles this year. Last one. Uh, Patriots over under next year. I don't know what it is. Call it nine and a half. Over under nine and a half. I don't think it'll be nine and a half. I think it'll be eight and a half. Okay. Over under eight and a half. Over. You like him. You you, you still believe in Bill Belichick, it sounds I think, like to me. I think he knew this was a down year. Their defense was solid at the end of the year. I think their defense is going to be filthy, and I think they'll be better offensively. I think I think they'll have a better season than they did last year. And listen, as bad as last season was, they were still sniffing the playoffs. Think about that. True. Okay, Brandon hey. Lang, thanks for coming. I'll go ahead. Real quick, you got a player prop you like? Yes, glad you asked. The one I'm crazy about. Um, Gainwell had 47 yards rushing against the Niners. His over-under rush yards are 18 and a half. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. That's he's going to get over eighteen and a half. And Kelsey, anytime touchdowns plus one uh, is minus one forty. That's really really good value there as well. So Kelsey minus one forty anytime touchdown and gain well over eighteen and a half yards. BrandonLang.com is where you get all the picks. Brandon, thanks again. We'll see you in Vegas next year, buddy. Absolutely. Okay. Quick uh, update with Murray. Ninety seconds. No commercials. We come back with your calls for Bedard. He's going to stick around for one.